Let's open your Bible to our Second Chronicles chapter 22. And uh, let's pray. Our Father, we do thank you that we can spend some time uh, considering your word. Uh, we ask that uh, you would leave, um, or remove rather, all the uh, distractions uh, of life uh, right now. You know, help us to not be thinking about you know, the, the cares and tasks of tomorrow, uh, but help us to be still uh, and to listen uh, to the word that you have for us. Please give us ears to hear and eyes to see and hearts that are receptive. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. But throughout history, there have been many heroes and many villains, and we as mankind are often obsessed by such narratives. It's like we're wired to be drawn to them. We find them intriguing and captivating. That They're like a magnet that, that draws us in with its magnetic force. You know, who we regard as a hero and who we regard as a villain will often vary depending on our personal passions and preferences. It's interesting that some are regarded as heroes by some, but villains by others. And yet there are some throughout history who would receive overwhelming support of their hero or villain status. But generally, we're quite fascinated by heroes and villains. And if you don't believe me, or just consider the whole Marvel franchise. Okay, it's about superheroes and supervillains. Every time they bring out a new movie, it makes billions of dollars. Okay, they're tapping into our obsession with heroes and villains. We seem to have an inherent interest in this topic. But superheroes and supervillains are not something invented by Marvel or by DC. Okay, this is not a new phenomenon because this is common throughout the Bible. Okay, there are many heroes and there are many villains and often they face off against each other. There are some very well known and there are some who are lesser known. And our text contains a classic hero versus villain scenario. It's one of the lesser known and yet the stakes are higher here than at too many other times in history. Okay, this is a real pivotal moment that there is so much on the line. And I hope that has you intrigued. And like all good stories, I won't reveal it until the end. So what I'd like to do is consider this lesser known hero versus villain story. Okay, there are two women in this account. One's a hero, one's a villain. And that's going to form our outline. Okay, very simple. So firstly, let's consider the villain. Now, Athaliah is the villain of this plot. And she's quite the despicable character, which isn't surprising because, as they say, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. She was from very wicked stock. She was the daughter of Ahab and Jezebel. Okay, that wicked union produced wicked offspring. But how did she manage to infiltrate the royal family of the southern kingdom? Okay, remember the kingdom is split. There's a northern kingdom and there's the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom never had a godly king and the southern kingdom had good kings and bad kings. So Athaliah, being a daughter of Ahab and Jezebel, was born into the royal family of the northern kingdom. But now in our text, she's queen in the southern kingdom. How did this happen? 
Okay, how in the world did the daughter of Jezebel manage to snare the throne of Judah? Well, to determine that, we need to go back to King Jehoshaphat. And his reign overall was quite godly. He was quite a good guy. But he made one exceptionally foolish decision. And that was to make an alliance with Ahab. Okay, that deplorable despot. Second Chronicles 18.1 says he joined affinity with Ahab. So they made a partnership. And as was often the case when political allegiances were struck, there were marriages to make these ties even stronger. And the daughter of Ahab married the daughter of Jehoshaphat. So this foolish decision allowed Athaliah to infiltrate the southern kingdom. And this had an incredibly corrosive effect. She was like rust. Okay? It eats away at the integrity of steel. Okay? And this is what she was like for her husband, Jehoram, the son of Jehoshaphat. He was not a good king at all. If you remember the story, he was the one who actually killed all of his brothers to eliminate any potential threats to the throne. And it seems incredibly likely that his darling wife, Athaliah, was a key instigator behind this because such a scheme certainly fits with her character profile. So this is how she got into the royal family of the southern kingdom. But the next question we need to ask is this. How did she manage to become queen? Okay, verse 12 tells us she reigned over the land. Okay, and if you know the Old Testament, it was not the practice of Judah to have queens ruling. Okay? It was a king. So how did this abnormality come to pass? Well, like most villains, there's a backstory. You will notice in verse 10 that her son, Ahaziah, who was king, had been killed. Well, it's interesting, Ahaziah was the youngest son of Jehoram and Athaliah. And hence, it was unusual for him to be king. He would normally go to the firstborn son and then the secondborn son, but not the youngest. Okay, well, why was he king? Well, his brothers had been massacred. Okay, the Philistines and the Arabs, they had been stirred up by the Lord against Jehoram, 2 Chronicles 21, 16. And they took the king's sons and the king's wives. And all that was left was Ahaziah and his mother Athaliah. And since Jehoram had died because the Lord had struck him with a disease, it meant Ahaziah, who is also known as Jehoahaz, he became king. And his wicked mother was what we'd call today his chief advisor. Now again, Ahaziah never learned from history, and he formed a wicked partnership again with the northern kingdom. And he ended up losing his life in Jehu's purge. Okay, Jehu was executing judgment against the house of Ahab. He was seeking to purge out Baal worship. Okay, we read of this in verses 8 and 9. Okay, and since Ahaziah had formed a partnership with the northern kingdom, he lost his life. And so did his sons, who would have been next in line to the throne. Okay, so understand that the royal bloodline is taking a real hammering. Okay, that there's not too much left. And it's at this time with Jehu seeking to cleanse the land of Ahab. And with the king and his sons dead, this enabled this wicked lady... To take the throne. Okay, and understand she was the self-appointed queen. 
It's very interesting in the text that the usual details of a new ruler is excluded. It just says that Athaliah reigned over the land. Okay, there's no mention of the usual formula. It doesn't list the ruler's age nor the length of their reign. Okay, normally it would say, these facts aren't accurate. It's coming off the top of my head. You know, Jehoshaphat was 42 when he reigned and he reigned for 20 years. Okay, that's the formula that's usually employed. But there's nothing here for Athaliah. And since this is admitted, it shows that she was not regarded as a legitimate ruler. Okay, but this was certainly not the case in her mind. Okay, she went about stamping her authority and wanted to ensure that nobody could usurp her throne. So she executed the potential heirs. And think about that. Okay, everything that I've just said, a lot of the royal family was already dead. Her husband had died. Her son had died. The other sons and stepsons were dead. And now she has killed potential threats to the throne. Who would that be? It would have been her grandchildren. Okay, this is one wicked grandmother. Okay, she slayed her own grandchildren to protect the throne to ensure that she maintained power. This is a horrible person. You know, she's definitely a super villain. Okay, willing to kill her own flesh and blood to bring her plans and purposes to pass. Okay, she rightfully has her portrait in the villain's hall of fame. Now three lessons for us to consider from this despicable villain. Number one, the danger of God-forbidden marriages. Okay, Athaliah should have never become part of the royal family of the southern kingdom. Okay, it should have never happened. Okay, but this was brought about because of a ludicrous decision made by Jehoshaphat. Okay, he decided to bring someone like her into his family. Okay, the Lord did not want such allegiances. And look at what ended up happening. This wicked woman wreaked absolute chaos. Now sure, it didn't happen instantly. In fact, Jehoshaphat never witnessed it. But when she showed her true colors, it was utter destruction. And hence, here's the warning. It's dangerous to marry somebody who God says you shouldn't marry. Okay, it's doubtful that it will turn out as bad as Athaliah. Okay, I understand that. That's an extreme case. But still, great can be the devastation. And great can be the destruction when somebody marries outside of God's regulations. So understand, as a Christian, you're being disobedient if you date and marry someone who's not a Christian. But also understand you're playing with fire. Okay, because this is an unbalanced union and it has the potential to tear your life apart. Why? Because you disagree on the most important thing. Okay, please understand, this is why it, it's so silly. It's ludicrous because Jesus Christ is the most important thing. Okay, if you're a Christian, he's number one in your life, and yet you disagree about that and you want to get married. That doesn't make sense. How can it work? Okay, it will lead you down the path of heartbreak. You wish you never got married. Far better to be single than to be married to someone outside of God's regulations. The second thing we learn from this villain is it reveals to us, it reminds us of the depravity of mankind. 
Now, such accounts of gross wickedness are a vivid portrait of the depravity and brokenness of mankind. It reveals what man has the potential to do. And understand, we all have potential within us to do great wickedness. That's what depravity means. It doesn't mean that we live out our full wicked potential. But we are naturally bad to the bone. It's ingrained. That's how we're born. This is the biblical view of man. We're not naturally good and moral like our world tells us, but we're born broken and wicked. And understand, in the right circumstances, we would do horrible, horrible things. We have a sinful DNA. Our genetic makeup is riddled with wickedness. This is who we are. Man is not good. But by nature, we're broken. The natural man is dead in sin, and we desperately need the saving work of God. We need new life. We need our sin. We need our depravity to be dealt with. And ultimately, this is accomplished by the Lord Jesus Christ and his finished work on the cross. Your brokenness can be mended. Your wickedness can be paid for. Your deadness can be made alive. If you embrace Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Okay, that's the good news for mankind who are inherently bad. And the third lesson we learn from this villain is the danger of unchecked lust. Okay, Athaliah was driven by the lust of power and the lust of revenge. Okay, she wanted to be queen. She wanted to rule, she wanted to reign, she wanted to have control. And she also wanted to avenge the attempts to eradicate the seed of Ahab. Remember, that's what Jehu is implementing at this time. And the best vengeance was obliviating the royal seed of Judah. So she was motivated by unchecked lust, uncontrolled desire. And this is a warning that you and I need to take heed to. Uncontrolled lust can lead us into all kinds of sin. And we can end up going a lot deeper than we thought. We can end up going a lot further than we thought we were capable of. And we can end up committing things that we never thought we would. If we allow the flesh free reign in our lives. If we never say no to it. Okay, understand that uncontrolled lust is a devastating weapon. Look at Athaliah. So my friend, allow your lust for pornography to remain unbridled. It will take over your life. And you could end up doing some unspeakable things. Allow hatred, bitterness and revenge to consume you and, and you'll be in its grip. And you could potentially do harmful things. Allow people's perception of you to control you and you'll end up doing bad things merely to protect this perception. That's just three examples and this is true of every uncontrolled lust. Let it off the chain and feed it and you could end up in some places that you never thought possible. You could end up doing things that in your mind were unimaginable. It's dangerous to leave the lust of the flesh unchecked. And here's the thing, as Christians, we don't have to do that. Okay, well, we can have victory over the flesh 
How do we do that? We do it by walking in the Spirit. Okay, by filling ourselves with the Word of God, by growing our love for Jesus, so that this love is greater than our love for any fleshly desire. And with His help, we can say no to the flesh. We, we can stop feeding the flesh and stop allowing it to control our lives. Okay, understand that with God's help, there's no such thing as a sin that can't be overcome in the power of the gospel and the Holy Spirit. So my friend, be warned, there are great dangers okay, lurking underneath the surface if you allow your flesh to remain unchecked. Sure, you may not get to be as bad as Athaliah, but that's the road that it leads. You don't want to become the villain in your family or the villain in your church or in your work or in your life. Deal with the flesh. So there's the villain, quite the despicable character, one who was willing to take the lives of her own grandchildren to maintain the throne. Let's now consider the hero. What's been said, not all heroes wear capes. And that's certainly true in this narrative. Okay, the hero here is Jehoshabeth. She was the daughter of Jehoram. It could be that Athaliah was her mother. I think that's unlikely. But she was probably one of the children of another wife of the king. But understand she was part of the royal family. Now what's interesting about her is she married Jehoiada the priest, verse 11. And it's highly unusual for the kingly line and for the priestly line to intermingle. But Jehoiada was a godly man, so this was a good marriage. We know very little about Jehoshabeth, but much like Esther, another female hero, she was born for such a time as this. And she heard about the wicked plans that were being hatched by Athaliah. Now, perhaps she overheard that the queen giving the orders, you know, maybe it was like the movie, she had her ear close up to the door and she heard everything. She's trying to do this in secret, we don't know. But what we do know is the Lord ensured providentially that she was aware of this despicable plan. So she did something very brave, very courageous. She went and took one of the king's sons and his nurse and hid them. We don't know how many children were there. You know, it must have shattered her that she couldn't protect them all. But obviously the queen would realize if they all vanished. So she hid one, a little boy named Joash. So try and picture the scene. Here's Jehoshabeth, the secret agent of the Lord. She's moving around subtly, ensuring to maintain secrecy. She goes to where the children were kept in the palace. And manages to convince the nurse to come with her and the child, and she swiftly hides them. Now Josephus, in his Antiquities, says the child and his nurse hid in a room where spare furniture and mattresses were stored. And I guess pray frantically that the baby would stay quiet. But then when the time was right, Jehoshabeth took baby Joash and his nurse to the temple. Okay, and there he was hidden for six years. So just like Samuel of old, he was raised in the temple and his life was spared. His wicked grandma didn't even realize that he had escaped 
And that's a revealing sign of her failure as a grandmother, isn't it? Didn't even realise one of her grandchildren were missing. But the plan was successful. Joash was spared. Joash was protected. You know, what defines a hero? You know, what's one of the common attributes that we discover in heroes? Well, I would suggest courage and bravery. And these are qualities possessed by Jehoshabeth in abundance because understand if, if she gets caught, that was it. Athaliah didn't possess an ounce of mercy. Imagine if she caught someone going behind her back to undermine her plans. Man, she was savage without a cause. Imagine if she had one. Jehoshabeth, baby Joash and the nurse would all be slaughtered. She put everything on the line to save this child. It took incredible courage. It took great bravery. And although saving any life is noble, what's particularly significant at this very moment? Okay, this is the crucial point. This is what you've been waiting for from the beginning. If this baby is not saved, then there is no Jesus. Okay, if this baby is not saved, then there's no Jesus. Oh, whoa, that's important. This is monumental. Talk about a significant moment. Okay, let me explain. God promised David that the Messiah would come through his seed. This is what we call the Davidic covenant. And at this point in time, this promise, it's hanging on by a thread. That the royal family has been completely decimated from within and without. The royal line was almost obsolete. So what we have here is yet another drama where Satan is trying to stop the seed of the woman. We go right back to Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. God promises that the one who would be of the seed of the woman would crush Satan's head. And slowly but surely, God revealed more and more details. And as Satan put that puzzle together, he tried to frustrate the plan. Okay, understand, that's what was happening in Egypt as Pharaoh planned to exterminate all of the baby boys. That's Satan at work. Haman and his wicked plot to, to exterminate the whole Jewish race. That had Satan's grubby and murderous fingerprints all over it. And here, here. Athaliah is a servant of the devil. And she was endeavoring to exterminate the royal seed. Now this doesn't mean she understood everything that she was doing. But that is what is at play. And just when things look to be at their absolute worst. The royal family line has been completely decimated. God providentially intervenes. Through the hero, Jehoshabeth. And she's the instrument that God uses to preserve the promised prophecy of Messiah. She was the human agent used to preserve the Davidic line, which ensured the coming Messiah. Okay, if the Davidic line is exterminated, the Davidic covenant couldn't be fulfilled, and there is no saviour. Okay, that this all hinged on the saving of this little baby, Joash. 
So Jehoshabeth was used by God to ensure the coming of Christ. And this was necessary in order to provide us with salvation. No Jesus, there's no gospel. There's no gospel, there's no forgiveness of sin, there's no redemption, there's no hope. And this is why this lady is a true hero. God used her to save the day. That's what's on the line in this account. And from her act of heroism, we learn two things about our God. And it's with this I'd like to close. Number one, Satan and his wicked agendas will never ultimately prevail. Satan and his wicked agendas will never ultimately prevail. Things are pretty bad in this text, aren't they? Things are quite dark with Athaliah in power. And evil seemed to be winning. Wickedness seemed to be choking the life out of righteousness. Satan seemed to be winning the battle. And this is not a unique occasion. That there have been many times throughout history where evil seems to have the upper hand. It looks like Satan is winning. G. Campbell Morgan encapsulated this well. He said this based on this text. There are hours in human history when it seems as though evil were almost all-powerful. It entrenches itself in great strength. It builds up great fortifications. It inaugurates policies of the utmost craft and cleverness. It seems to be able to bind together a kingdom which is invincible. But all this is false. There is no finality, no security in the apparent might of iniquity. And this describes our text. And it describes countless other times in history, evil and wickedness seem almost all-powerful. But understand, Satan and his wicked agendas, they will never prevail. Because in the chapter that follows our text, guess what happens? Athaliah was removed from the throne. The line of David was protected and Jesus came and this is repeated in many different ways throughout history okay and here's the thing Satan will never defeat Jesus he can't he doesn't possess the ability Satan is no match for Jesus my friend Satan is fighting a losing battle okay right from the beginning of time he's been trying to stop the seed of the woman and he failed Jesus ultimately came. He died and he rose again at the cross and that assured the defeat of Satan. He's on borrowed time. Jesus will win. Satan will lose. Now sure, there are times when wickedness seems to be prevailing. Perhaps you felt that in the times that we live. But understand it will never ultimately win. How can I be so sure? Read the back of the book. Jesus wins because nothing can overcome him. He will ultimately defeat Satan and his wicked agenda. Jesus will wipe out all wickedness and he will reign in righteousness forever. And Satan, he'll be in the lake of fire for all eternity. King Jesus will win. He will defeat every enemy and he will prevail. And the question 
that you need to answer is this. Whose side are you on? There are only two sides. Jesus' side and Satan's side. And as sinners, natural man is on team Satan. And will face the same destiny, eternity in hell. That is the just and fair punishment for sin. But it's possible to enter team Jesus. The entry requirement is repenting of sin. And placing your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Believing that he is God's. And that he died to pay the price for your sin. Okay? And placing your confidence in him alone as the means of salvation. Have you ever asked the Lord Jesus Christ to save you? I trust you have. And if you are saved, that means you're on Jesus' side. That means you're on the winning team. That means you'll be with Jesus forever. And his destiny is yours. And sure, in the moment, wickedness and evil may often look like they're winning. But that's temporary. Satan will never win. Jesus does. And we get to win with him. It's the first lesson. The second is this. God will always keep his promises. God's promise to David that the Messiah would come through his seed. The Davidic covenant. At this point, man, it was looking rather shaky. That the royal bloodline had been drained. But the Lord was true to his word. He providentially ensured that Joash was saved, which protected the Davidic pipeline, which meant Messiah could come. And this is a reminder that God will always keep his promises. Okay, There may be times when things don't look great, just like in our text. In your life, there may be times when, when things are dark. There doesn't seem to be much hope. And maybe to you, God's promises look unlikely. Maybe your life is like that right now. Things are tough. But my friend, there is nothing surer in this world. God will do what he says. God will keep his promises. Okay, and that, that's the basis of our confidence. That's the basis of our hope. Every promise that God has made will come to pass. In fact, it must come to pass. Okay, everything that God has promised in this life and the life to come is as good as done. And when we call to mind some of the promises that he has made, isn't that astonishing? You know, what's the first promise that comes to your mind that God makes? He'll keep that. He has promised that he'll never leave us nor forsake us. He's promised us eternal life. He's promised us that nothing is able to separate us from his love. He has promised that Jesus' work on the cross is sufficient, it's enough. God has promised that he is for us, not against us. He's promised to provide all of our needs. He's promised that his grace is sufficient. You know, one author that I read says the Bible contains 7,147 promises from God. I didn't have the time to cross-reference him. But whatever the number, he will keep 
every single one of them. God keeps his promises. That is our great comfort and hope in life and death. We can stand on the promises of God. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I do thank you uh, for this portion of scripture. Lord, it's quite a grim and and gruesome narrative. And yet it has uh, a lot to to teach us. And uh, we do thank you particularly uh, what it has to teach us uh, about yourself. uh, That you are uh, a great God. And that uh, you will always keep uh, your promises. And uh, that is our uh, great comfort uh, and hope. And may this uh, encourage us tonight. We ask this in Jesus' name.